You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Hello, hello. Great to be with you. My guest today, if you did not catch the first episode from this week with Dr. Laura Haynes. Dr. Laura Haynes is a retired psychologist, but she has had both an incredible national and international influence as she's really deep into the research behind sexual identity, gender identity disorder. She has testified behind multiple legislative hearings and is really advocating for people to be free to choose their course of therapy, free to achieve any changes, free to live in conjunction with their faith. We'll be diving into the topic of activism and how we've seen this activism influencing schools. I'm not just talking about about major college universities. I'm talking about elementary schools. Mm. I'm talking about churches and even this idea of being compelled to speak in a particular way as a therapist. We'll be jumping in. Dr. Laura Haynes, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Timory. I'm so glad to be with you. So Dr. Haynes, you have been at the forefront of this battle whether it's going head on with the gay lobby surrounding schools, surrounding our state legislator, even, you know, currently in the state of California, we have found within the realm of therapy in particular, and other states have followed that if a child, so an adolescent under 18 comes into a therapist and shares that they experience same sex attraction, the quote unquote laws are that you can't do anything but affirm that child in the sexual orientation. Can you dive in and talk about what we're facing in terms of therapy and how we're basically forcing it so that young people and even adults can't receive the therapy they want and need? Yes. Okay. So in uh, 2012, of course, the first therapy ban uh, was in California. Of course. Where else could it be? (laughs) And the activists said uh, on their their Facebook or or on their and on their webpage that their goal was to pass bans in 50 states in five years. What are we at now? 18 bans in seven years. They didn't quite make it. At least they haven't even gotten to half. (laughs) (laughs) It hasn't worked out the way they had hoped. Um, So now they're going to some cities and uh, counties where they think they will have a favorable chance. And they're not doing so well there. They just lost a law case to us in Tampa, Florida, they had such a good decision from the judge that we believe that decision will be used to take down all the other bans in the cities and states. So it's a precedent-setting case. Yes. Yes, it is. And in New York City, they passed a ban that would also ban therapy for adults. And the case was so good in our favor, and I did help write the declaration, I Thank say you. so myself um, that it was fun. I mean, just I just had a small part, right. but uh, it was fun. And um, the lawyers for the activist organizations went to the New York City Council and urged them to vote to repeal their ban. 
because they saw that they were going to it was going to go to the Supreme Court and they were going to lose. And it wasn't a strong enough case. So they said, no, never mind. We don't want this to be the law in the books, the even if it gets what we want. The case was so good for us. Wow. So, so will that case likely go to the Supreme Court? Well, they they withdrew their ban. Okay, they so voted they and repealed their own ban. Wow. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, we have um, we have at least I know of at least one other case that's going that and and it's just a matter of time we feel until we do get a case to the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and we we feel that this will be resolved. But we're fighting for children and adolescents to have a right to therapy. But one of the purposes that they went after these therapy bans was it wasn't just about that. It was to influence what people think, what people believe, ideology, the culture. Right. That was their big purpose. Well, what's interesting, because we talk on trending quite a lot. We have your colleague, Michael Gasparro, on. We've worked with a number of others on the show where we talk about, you know, psychology, therapy, and the ability to change effective uh, forms of treatment. You know, we've talked about how a lot of people who experience same-sex attraction when they receive counseling specifically for things such as sexual trauma, addiction, OCD, that the byproduct is that the same-sex attraction goes away. Now, I have friends, family members, listeners who will say, but I thought that that was illegal. That's conversion therapy. And I always push back and say, no, it's not illegal to receive therapy to try to bring out change in a person. Isn't that the goal? A person wants to experience healing and conversion in who they are. We're not talking about what people try to call Ipecac syrup and all the other elements of what they claim conversion therapy is. Well, yes, people, there is a lot of confusion in people's minds about the, the therapy bans. At this time, they only ban therapy for minors. Now, I, I only, you know, I mean, that is bad enough because it's right when children are, many of them fluid and changing their their feelings. And um, we know from re- research that, in fact, 10 professional organizations say that nonconforming gender identity in children vastly resolves. Mm-hmm. Like the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual says as many as 98% of yes. boys and 88% of girls the APA handbook says no less than 75% of boys and girls. And and the research gives a good solid 85 to 90%. And we're not just talking about a 11-year-old hopping around the house wearing a tutu and holding a wand. As one of my friends always said, I didn't think when my kid did that that he was suddenly identifying as a girl. He's just playing around. We're talking about kids who are really experiencing psychological challenges with their gender identity. They're not gender nonconforming. By the age of going through puberty, by the age of 18, they've worked it out. They identify with their biological sex. The wounds are not there. They're not prevalent. This is the reality of what the research is showing Yet, people are trying to say that therapy shouldn't allow for help. Some of them outgrow it by going through puberty. The hormones have an influence on a person. Right. And so they should be supported through through puberty, not cut off uh, from, not have their sexuality taken away from them. They're b- literally before they even have a chance to go through puberty. So all of this is predicated on the idea of born that way and can't change and uh, it's absolutely not true. The American Psychological Association says LGBTQ feelings are not simply biologically caused like skin color. And it says there are psychological and social influences and uh, family relationships may be involved. And 
Um, it says childhood sexual abuse has associative and potentially causal links to having same-sex partners for some. It's harmful to affirm someone's sexual orientation or gender identity that was caused by trauma. And, and we know also from uh, the Kaiser study last year that 70% of kids, uh, of adolescents, who came out with gender nonconforming identity before the onset of that gen- gender nonconforming identity, 70 to 71% had other psychiatric diagnoses and ranging from moderate to astronomically higher rates than those who are not gender nonconforming. And in fact, not only did they have the diagnoses at such high rates, they had hospitalizations for other psychiatric diagnoses at such high rates. And yet they're trying to claim that it's a same-sex attraction, the stigma in society. They tried to say that we need same-sex marriage legalized because that's what's going to help the suicide rates go down among this population. But in reality, they were not pointing to the undiagnosed in many cases, but underlying psychological diagnosis that are there and prevalent pointing to mental illness as a major issue contributing here that we're just making worse. That's right. And and it needs to be treated. And uh, and we know that that uh, mangling their bodies, putting them on high doses of wrong sex hormones, toxic levels, what could go wrong, and removing body parts, dismembering body parts and remangling them is not a cure for psychiatric disorders or suicide. It's not a treatment for suicide. So the, it, we really need to have, have therapy for those who have, uh, especially for those who, who want therapy and feel their same-sex attraction or gender identity. They don't want it. They feel it isn't who their authentic self. They feel it was caused by wounds, and they want the right to heal. They should have that right to heal that's being attacked now. Let's talk about this. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. My guest today is Dr. Laura Haynes, a retired psychologist, but she's working in the realm of research, testifying before legislative hearings and committees on the right to freedom in therapy and schools and more. We're seeing this trend in schools, this activism, where here in the state of California, we've set this precedence that kindergartners apparently need to know about same-sex sexual activity. They need to be coloring color coloring books, having to do with not just body parts, but how to do things together. History lessons are bringing drag queens in to teach these kids. I mean, it is absolutely unacceptable. And the norm right now in the schools, and it has been, I think, since the 90s, are organizations such as GLSEN to come in and basically create the kind of cookie cutter response. A child comes in, whether they're five-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old experiencing some sort of same-sex attraction, they usher them into that same-sex community. How is it that this has become the norm in the schools? Well, there are activists who are bringing this about, and they want to change what people believe about sexual orientation and gender identity. I testified this summer against a bill, AB 493. Here in California? Here in California that was going to coerce teachers and certified school personnel to take uh, training in anti-religious, LGBTQ-affirming, promoting policies and practices. Of course, this violates the faith of many of the 
of the people who would have to take the training. To justify doing this, uh, this the law, the bill itself, actually, referred to a study by Gleason, mm-hmm. which is being used to support this sort of thing. <clears throat> well, if legislators had scrolled down and looked at that study and scrolled down to Appendix 2, where they actually give the data, they would have seen that religious schools were, are not using any of those uh, those methods that they're pushing. They don't have, uh, you know, websites and and books and policies and procedures and LGBTQ training and so on. They have, don't have any of that, that that Gleason is promoting. So you would think that LGBTQ students in religious schools, it would, they'd be in the uns, most unsafe place. They're underserved in religious schools and private institutions. They don't have the resources they need. This is what you hear, right? But is that the case? Well, and you would think that it would be the least safe place mm, for bullying. an LGBTQ yeah. student. You think they'd experience major bullying, not only because it's against what the religion might teach, but because they don't have the resources that people claim All they need. All these so resources, are, the clubs and so right. on. But what the, stu- the, the data actually showed also was that the religious schools had less negative comments towards LGBTQ students than the public schools mm. And the least amount of victimization and bullying of all types of schools, including private non-religious schools that had all the policies and procedures and and resources that Gleason was supporting. So this approach is not necessary to make school a safe place. And it doesn't make school a safe place for teachers and students of many religions. Mm-hmm. It makes school unwelcoming to them. How is a teacher supposed to make school a welcoming place when they themselves feel ostracized and bullied? And if uh, the bill, if the, if the school had it tried to compel the teachers to actually carry out these policies, they would have been compelling speech. And I told legislators it will result in lawsuits. Mm-hmm. And apparently they heard us. Praise God. Because what they did was they gutted the bill of coercing this training okay, and simply encouraged it, mm-hmm. which is already going on. Right. So the bill added nothing new, but they kept the window, they kept the shell of it, the window dressing, so the activists could claim victory when it right. passed, which they did. Right. And even though they didn't pass the additional things they wanted, it kind of continues to set this precedence that this is welcome. It's still welcome. The door is still open. I mean, we had, I'm sure you know about that major expose coming out of Marietta, California, where they were talking about how there in Marietta, the schools were being targeted. And, you know, parents were going to these meetings, seeing the very uh, sexualized curriculums that the kids and the teachers were receiving. They were even bullying the teachers, bringing in quote unquote legal representatives to tell them that you have to, you know, affirm the child and their sexuality, stop using male or female pronouns. I mean, the outright bullying within the school system has been astounding. And in San Diego, beginning of the year, we saw the same thing. All of the school teachers in San Diego had to go to uh, basically trainings with pro-transgender um, organizations that put on the trainings and they said no longer use male or female pronouns. They also, and we've emphasized this a lot here on Trending, they're emphasizing that the teacher should separate any conversation from the parent if the child is identifying as 
as same-sex or gender non-conforming because the parent is ill-equipped to care for their child and may have old-fashioned or religious views. This is what our teachers are being taught. Well, these policies, of course, are being worked out without uh, taking into account the people of religious faiths who are most attacked and uh, who are attacked and harmed by them. And um, putting children in this environment is actually, I believe, harmful, not helpful. Mm -hmm. And here's why. Uh, this is one of the things I told legislators. I explained that sexual, sexual attraction and gender identity are changeable, especially in young people. And that a social environment affects the directions of change. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we know that uh, from a study of women, 10-year study of women who had a same-sex attraction, that if they were in an LGBTQ environment or, or a social group, and if they, they were capable of dating either sex because they had some attraction to each sex, if they chose to date the same sex, that they would wind up in a relationship with someone. The, the women wound up in a relationship with a woman, and their same-sex attraction increased, and their opposite-sex interest decreased. Whereas the woman who left her LGBTQ environment in college and went out into a male-dominated career, had relationships with men, and married a man, and um, her opposite-sex interest increased, her same-sex interest decreased. So what's from knowing this, that there are social influences on sexual attraction, especially for girls and for those who have attraction to both sexes, which, by the way, most People who experience same-sex attraction do also have attraction to the opposite sex, something that's yeah. little known in the public. Well, that was one of the great things that came out from Daniel Matson's story. Um, sorry, why I don't call myself gay? He talked about how all of this time as he was having these various relationships, there was this woman that he was in love with. And, and things didn't end up working out. And there were even times where he'd come back to that relationship, hoping that it would work out. But all along, as he's out there with this pornography addiction, as he's out there living a same-sex lifestyle, there was that woman there all that time. Yet a lot of people don't hear that there's that story, that there's that same-sex attraction, but there's heterosexual attraction prevalent all along as there well. There are some people who think they're exclusively same-sex attracted who later become opposite-sex attracted and marry, get into a, an opposite-sex marriage, who retrospectively see, you know, I did have a little opposite-sex attraction, but I didn't pay attention to it because they were supposed to believe they were, that people only come as exclusively same-sex attracted or opposite-sex attracted. Well, and this is what I'm sure you saw very regularly in your practice as well. You know, most, let's see, most of the women who came for counseling did have some opposite sex attraction, and, um, and some of the men did. But even in a case where there was only same-sex attraction, um, I saw that same-sex attraction decrease, diminish, and even fall away and completely drop out. Mm -hmm. Now, um, maybe they didn't deal with some wounds with women, and so they didn't develop their opposite sex attraction. And it might look to someone like, oh, that's terrible because now they're not sexually attracted to anybody. There, was, there, there can be feelings of great relief that they're not out there living a lifestyle that they, they, they may feel very relieved and very happy right. that they're now able 
to be, feel more calm and um, and if they're a person of faith to live in accordance with their faith much more easily. Mm-hmm. So they regard that as a, that kind of change as a real blessing. That's Dr. Laura Haynes. You're listening to Trending with Tim Marie. You're diving into another point, I believe. So I was telling uh, legislators that, um, you know, they can affect, in effect that some adolescents who might have shifted out of same-sex attraction into opposite-sex attraction will be stopped by their causing this program, this pr- promoting the LGBT group and putting them in LGBT clubs and so on. I asked them if they wanted to be responsible for that. And I also pointed out to them that um, gender nonconforming identity also changes for most. You know, children, especially for children who are pre- pre-puberty, this, this program is particularly, I feel, well, I want to use the word dastardly, but harmful for prepubescent children because they are still developing their gender identity, many of them, until age seven. So at age three, a child may be able to say, I'm a boy or I'm a girl, but they may not understand until years later that that means that I'm a girl who will remain a girl, I'll always be a girl, and I'll grow up to be a woman. Or I'm a boy, and I always will be, and I'll grow up to be a man. So while they're going through this, and, you know, children progress at different rates. So if you tell them you can be the opposite sex, or you can be either both sexes, or neither sex, or something else, you can confuse them. And um, the, the American Psychological Association's Handbook of Sexuality and Psychology cautions against socially transitioning children to dress as the opposite sex and live as the opposite sex because it says, and other professional organizations say this too, it can stop natural, spontaneously outgrowing this. Wow. So then why are they being allowed to do this with school counselors in the education system? Well, uh, before we go on to that, I'm going to tell you a story about this. So we saw this in, in Rockland Academy, which is near Sacramento, California. Mm-hmm. A teacher did a, a gender uh, change uh, ceremony in her kindergarten class. In her kindergarten? For herself or for a for, child? For a child. Wow. For a child, yes. I know. These days you have to clarify. It was for a child. So she read a couple of books. It said a girl could be a boy or a boy can be a girl. Then the child went into the bathroom, changed clothes. Well, at this age, children may believe that if you change your clothes, it does make you the other sex. Five years old? I think so, probably. They also believe they're Spider-Man at times, too. (laughs) (laughs) So the child changed clothes and came out and was introduced as the opposite sex with a new name. Well, that night, one of the little girls from the class who witnessed this was taking her bath. And she saw her wet hair in the mirror and thought she looked like a boy. And she was terrified. Mm. She had become a boy. Meanwhile, this other child, who has now been socially affirmed to live as the opposite sex, may have been robbed of the chance to spontaneously normally outgrow this over time. If they had not been affirmed, may now be locked in for life. Now, this... When a child gets locked in at any point, and once they are once they are affirmed to live as the opposite sex, the rate of, I mean, it does have a, it, there is a high rate of being locked in. 
where this leads is uh, it, it leads where it leads to in puberty is just unbelievable what it does to them. So it leads to their begin, being given puberty blockers. And, and I'll go into that. What it goes into, I'll go into some more in the next. And we'll discuss why that's being allowed in the schools. How is it that therapists are being allowed to do this when, in fact, it goes against the handbook for the American Psychological Association? Be sure to follow me on Instagram for updates throughout the week. You can find me at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Also, a big thank you to our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare is simple to pay for affordable and quality health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You choose the doctors that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity HealthShare pays for NAPRO technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. Information is available at SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. Dr. Laura Haynes is in the studio with me. She is a retired psychologist and is one of the top researchers testifying before legislative hearings and working internationally regarding the area of psychology and freedom to live according to your faith, according to the freedom of change. We'll be diving into that much more. We've been discussing how activists have really infiltrated the schools. And we've been talking about the influence on the school system, and we're talking about kindergartners. You just told a story. If you missed the story, please head over to radiotrending.com and listen to this episode, because that story of that little kindergartner who they had a party to celebrate their change to the opposite sex and how the other kids responded is shocking. Why is it that this is being allowed to occur in the school systems to be counseled and encouraged when it goes against the American Psychological Association handbook. It's just the work of activists and they're working on the, the mainstream professional organizations which who mostly say that it, watch and wait is the consensus of what to do. Um, you know, give the, give the children time and just watch and wait is, is what they generally say. Although the APA handbook says that the children should also have therapy, but that the affirming children neglects, may neglect treatment that they need for individual problems that they're having. Now, the children change it at uh, high rates, they outgrow it at high rates, and, and the outgrowing it proceeds through puberty and, and for some up until adulthood. But the children are being socially affirmed and locked in. And now let's fast forward to the adolescents mm-hmm. who are working on their identity in every way what kind of person they want to be. So that's complicated enough. But deciding on their sexual orientation and gender identity didn't used to have to be part of it for most adolescents. Mm-hmm. Now it does. Now they have to think through, if I admire somebody of my own sex, a girl, you know, do I, if I admire a girl on campus, does it mean I'm gay? And so on. Well, for most who are questioning and unsure, they actually turn out to be heterosexual as adults and never look back, which is comforting news for some, for, for many. But if we have ad- anecdotal evidence that we have whole friendship groups going trans together now, and the Kaiser study that came out year last year showed in uh, their California and um, Georgia 
areas that there's been an 800 to 1100 percent increase in girls going trans well teenagers going trans but i suspect a lot of it there has been a great increase in girls who are going trans according to their data and we've seen that in in uh, europe as well in a num- number of countries it's it's going on yeah. well we've even seen stories where throughout the uk where all of a sudden it's an all-girls school they bring in a transgender presentation they encourage all the girls not only to consider their sexuality but you need to come out so whether you're heterosexual homosexual bisexual cisgender whatever you identify as you have to come out and it's putting pressure and i'm talking about how middle school kids oh yes oh yes absolutely and so where does that where does that lead them okay well here's where it leads them they are put on if they they identify uh, as uh, oh if they're gender just gender non-conforming but they don't actually have a gender cross-gender identity they may get confused and be feel pushed in a certain direction too but once there's a an a, a view that this person has transgender or non-conforming gender identity, they are put on a medical path of, tr- of transition. They're given the wrong high doses of toxic wrong sex hormones. What could go wrong? Which will take away their, and, um, which take away their uh, fertility mm-hmm. over time. They, they have puberty blockers first, I should have mentioned that, and there's no research for using that drug that way we still it's, don't know what the outcome will be from that as well no correct? no we don't have the long-term research they're experimenting on children and they're not telling the children this they're not telling the parents this they're not giving them a chance to to know we have no i just think about that we have no idea what the long-term impact is of blocking puberty in a child no clue yet we're doing it as a norm now that's right and we're supposed to go through puberty for the health for the health of the body for the development of the the brain uh, bones all sorts of things so it is a big risky path then they add these high levels of toxic wrong sex hormones it leads to loss of fertility mm-hmm. They're giving up parenthood. But children are too young to understand what that means to give that up. But don't you know, Dr. Haynes, that that's supposed to be taken care of because they're now saying, well, we'll harvest your eggs first. We'll put them in a bank so that they can be saved or harvest your sperm and save it for later. That's, that's what people are saying. So we're getting around this issue. Well, then they, they have claim. to let them go through puberty first enough that they can get some eggs. Isn't that atrocious that they're saying, well, this is the ethical thing. We're at least harvesting, you know, the potential for starting new life. Yet a lot of them, like you're saying, they're not even allowing to go through puberty first. I think I've heard there's some problems with that, with doing that with them. But I uh, have to ask my, I have to turn to my physician experts to explain that to you. But um, in addition to losing their, losing fertility, they may lose sexual function to some degree or to a lot of a degree. Mm-hmm. Big losses we're talking about here. They may lose body parts mm-hmm. that are dismembered surgically. Their body parts may be, in some cases, uh, redesigned, shall we say, mangled. This is a, an astonishing thing to be doing to a teenager. And we know from the Kaiser study that many of these teenagers had s- serious psychiatric disorders before the onset of their gender dysphoria which is not necessarily being treated, meanwhile. Mm -hmm. 
I want to change gears here and talk about religious institutions a bit and the influence on free speech. You're listening to Trending with Timory. My guest today is psychologist Dr. Laura Haynes. She is known nationally and internationally testifying before legislative hearings surrounding gender identity disorder and much more. And she's a major advocate for the freedom to change. The Catholic Church holds to the idea, the value, the dignity of the human person. We might ask, what does that mean? That means that we see that the human person has value, that the person has intellect. They can come to know something and they can freely choose it. This is what makes us different from the animals. We have the ability to love. If we didn't have the ability to reason, if we didn't have freedom, we couldn't love as humans do. A dog can't love the way a human can, no matter what you try to say, right? A rabbit and so forth. Um, but when we're talking about the church, the church actually emphasizes that there should be this freedom to be able to choose your therapy. Yet we're seeing in the state of California, various laws such as ACR 99, that's assembly concurrent resolution, that's trying to put pressure on religious institutions, psychologists, people of faith who are trying to work and help those in their community uh, to compel them to speak speech that goes against their First Amendment right to free speech and what they believe. Right. So California legislators just passed Assembly Concurrent Resolution 99 or ACR 99. Um, it claims that groups in society, including therapists and religious groups, have caused mental health problems in people who identify as LGBTQ. It's a non-binding resolution. It's not a law. And it urges clergy to comply with LGBTQ affirmative pulpit speech and pastoral counseling. So we now have a state legislature telling the church, telling pastors what is moral, what to they can say in their pulpit speech, and how to do pastoral counseling. This is a historic point in history. We just saw in Europe that for the first time, a medical professional doctor is being compelled to refer to female or male patients as the opposite sex. That is huge because how are they supposed to treat the body as male or female? Now here in the state of California, people are being compelled to give speech against what they hold as biologically true and religious truths as well. They can compel people who are, they think they can compel people who are licensed. We had, I think they're realizing they can't now because there was a Supreme Court decision last June mm -hmm. that said uh, licensed professionals of whatever type have the same First Amendment rights for their speech as anyone else. And this is starting to, we're starting to see this having some effect. But what they're really going after is the church, the pastors. We have a spokesperson for one of the activist groups on uh, YouTube telling the Google executives that this is their goal. Uh, they want to change what people believe and what they believe spiritually and religiously. And that's the purpose of this resolution is to solicit pastors and religious groups to abandon the gospel that Jesus Christ changes lives and to give up the teachings of the church. We know that most people who seek pastoral counseling or professional therapy to align their sexual attractions or gender identity with the teachings of the church, well, people who seek it are trying to align with the church. They're people of faith. And these bills, these laws, these resolutions are being made by 
people who do not include people of faith in their decisions. But people of faith, because they have the teachings of the church, are not being tossed around by every wind of culture and every deception. They're being saved from that if they hold on to their faith. That's the challenge of each person listening. Are we able to hold on to the faith, but are we also able to hold on to biological realities? Are we being you know, moved by the wind of the time? What we're being told about biological realities. Right. I want to dive in here and talk about some of the church's documents and how the church actually affirms in its very own documents this freedom towards change and therapy. We'll be coming back here on Trending with Tim Ray with Dr. Laura Haynes. We'll also be sharing some awesome stories of success in continuing to defeat this lobby that's trying to force this sexual identity disorder and confusion on children and adults. We'll be right back on Trending. In the meantime, head over to my Instagram page. You can find me at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. I I post throughout the week. Would love to hear from you guys talking about everything from Kanye West and what's going on in the latest episode. Hope to see you there. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timmery. I have Dr. Laura Haynes here with me. We'll be talking about the success in battling the gay agenda that is trying to force gender identity confusion and same-sex attraction on children and adults. We'll be coming back on that in a second. First, I thank you to our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare. It's simple to help pay for affordable, quality health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You choose the doctors that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity HealthShare helps pay for NAPR technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. SolidarityHealthShare.org. For more information, visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. Again, that's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Again, my guest, Dr. Laura Haynes, is here. I'd like to dive in to how the church, in its own documents, points to this freedom in therapy. Can you talk to this a little bit? Sure. So the United States Council of Catholic Bishops published a ministry to persons with homosexual inclination guidelines for pastoral care. And it recommends helping youth avoid acting on same-sex attractions and help them to not believe they are homosexual, that that's their identity or who they authentically are, by preventing their developing a habit of homosexual relations or involvement in the homosexual subculture. Right. This is totally opposite of what's being pushed today. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, 1986, in a letter to the bishops of the Catholic Church on the pastoral care of homosexual persons, said the human person is made in the image and likeness of God and can hardly be adequately described by a reductionist reference to his or her sexual orientation. Every person has a fundamental identity, a creature of God, and by grace his child and their heir to eternal life. So when people of faith identify that they might say, yes, I have same-sex attraction, but I don't accept an identity label of LGBTQ because I don't think that is who I am. I think I am a child of God. It's not that they're feeling shame for same-sex attraction. They don't feel their same-sex attraction is who they are. Mm -hmm. So they can't feel shame for it. 
they don't feel it's who they are, truly are. <laughs> there are uh, recommendations concerning parental and professional care. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in, um, in 1986, le- a letter to the bishops that I just referenced, said, appropriate assistance of the psychological and sociological and medical sciences must be in full accord with the teachings of the church. And also the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops said the same thing in their ministry to persons of homosexual inclination. This is an interesting thing because right now it's against the law for parents to do what these documents are saying. Now, this is what's so important, because if we were to look at the history of the church, one of the fundamental parts of Christian marriage, of marriage, is it's oriented toward having children and the raising up of those children. The church emphasizes the importance of formation in the male and female character as biologically male and biologically female in the shaping of that character of that soul, everything that they are according to their biological sex. Even just this year in 2019, the church yet again in 2019, right, re-emphasized in male and female, he created them toward a path of dialogue on the question of gender theory and education. It was a letter, letter to the education professionals of the world addressing this issue and even there it re-emphasized just as you're saying that the parents need to have the right to dictate their child's education their child's therapies and re-emphasize the importance of sexual formation as male and female and and really pushes against these gender ideologies that are harmful for children yes and these, uh, the, this agenda is attempting to separate children from their parents right. and head them off in, in a direction secretly without their parents knowing and doing this at school. The uh, documents also say that the therapy for the person who's dealing with same-sex attraction should be directed more to the causes mm-hmm. than the symptoms, meaning more to the uh-huh. causes of the attraction than to just changing the behaviors by right. some behavior modification. As a matter of fact, we really don't do behavior modification anyway. An APA task force report said that it hasn't been done since the 60s and 70s. It was 40 or 50 years ago. I even heard a, a lawyer who writes bans, uh, therapy bans testify in Utah to a legislative hearing committee that those methods haven't been used in 40 to 50 years. You know, and what's interesting is I have a friend. I grew up in the dancer world. Same-sex attraction is something that I was surrounded by. Um, Gay relationships is something I saw around me very often. And I have friends who have come out talking about, specifically coming out of Utah, about how they experienced conversion therapy and were being forced to take Epicac and other things. And I don't see that matching what the American Psychological Association has set as the precedence unless someone's just going off on their whim, creating their own treatments that don't fall in line with sound science or what's legal. I don't know where those stories come from. I'm a member of the National Professional Organization of Therapists who are open to change in sexual identity or gender identity in therapy. None of us do that. We never have a presentation on using methods like that. It's always about treating trauma or or wounds that are underlying. And change in sexual attraction or gender identity is a byproduct Mm -hmm. of the therapy. As an activist, I've talked with leaders of faith ministries, people who have ministries to people all over the nation and even internationally. And they say they never meet anyone who said they had those experiences. So I don't know where they come from. They're not certainly not representative. 
That's Dr. Laura Haynes. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. Dr. Laura, in your work, you are testifying before legislative hearings. You are battling on the grounds against this activist agenda to push this ideology. What are some success stories? Because you've seen them day in and day out in your work. We do have some successes, and we're, we are winning. Right now, we are winning. As I mentioned, in Tampa, Florida, we won a case that's going to enable us to take bans, down bans in cities and counties. New York City was forced to repeal its law, its therapy ban, because they saw they were going to lose, and it was going to go to the Supreme Court, and they were going to lose big. And we have other cases. We're just we're just getting working our way to the su- Supreme Court, which we feel will be a, a, a positive for us. So far, other than New York City, the bans are just are, are affecting minors only. I mean, I don't mean to mean that diminish that. That is a serious matter. But it did. They have not been about adults until last year. Last year, we had AB 2943. Yes. Those who are used to listening to Trending, we talked about this quite a bit here on Trending, so you're going to be familiar. Okay. So there are, there are lobbyists at Sacramento who are professionals who work there full time, mm-hmm. and uh, one of them is named Greg Burt. Greg Burt knew of me because uh, some other activists had told him there's a psychologist who testifies before legislative hearings in states. And he had had me come up the previous year to testify on a bill that was going to give parents the permission to change, get, do a quickie gender re- change registration for their child at the D- DMV. Fortunately, that one failed. And then we never know the reason why. But anyway, he called me up and he told me about this bill. It was going to make it consumer fraud for anyone to help anyone change their sexual orientation or gender identity, including pastors faith-based ministries, anybody. You couldn't even have legislation, sorry, not legislation, but papers or even the Bible. There was a concern over the Bible being banned. Because the consumer fraud law covers goods, not only services. And when I heard about this, I I just, it took me a few days to just recover. So he he had, uh, Bert and I, Greg, I mean, (laughs) and I each got about three people and we put together a committee and we went in and we lobbied and we got there early before anybody else had gotten to them so we our view was first and we all had to do everything at first because there was no organization across the state by six months later our state was so organized we had so many people become getting active it was common to go to a hearing and i have a legislator say i got a thousand emails and phone calls today Praise God. And thank you to everyone listening who helped call because we had a lot of people mobilizing through trending. At the last legislative hearing, they had they used a very large hearing room, like mm-hmm. maybe held 250 people in it. And at the end, everyone could get up and give just a one, like just say their name, the city they're from, and that they oppose this bill. And they did. 250 people, I, I think virtually everyone in the room. When they finished, they went out the side door and they and they, they eventually they had to open the back doors and let in all the people from the halls who came in and gave their testimonies. And when they finished, they went out the side door, probably 450 people. A hearing like this usually lasts 30 minutes. This one lasted hours. Wow. After they left through the side door, they went around to another hearing room where some of my colleagues were opposing a law that was going to send uh, foster children to transgender medical treatments. Oh, gosh. And they gave their testimonies there, wow. hundreds of people. And when they finished there, 
they went to another hearing room where an abortion bill was being heard, and they all testified there. That's awesome. It was, it was a glorious day. Now, the ending to this was on the last day of the legislative hearing, the sponsor of the bill pulled the bill. The sponsor himself. He had the votes. Mm-hmm. He pulled the bill. We think that the fact that the Supreme Court had said that professionals have their speech has the first same First Amendment rights as anyone else. He knew it would go to the Supreme Court. They'd lose. We'd have more freedom of religion and speech than ever. We think that may have influenced him. So he came up with a non-binding resolution this year instead. That's incredible. Look at the impact of speaking up, having a voice, sharing your testimony, mobilizing, calling and emailing. We can make a change. And if you learn anything else from Dr. Laura's work, please understand that there's a change being made if we're only willing to speak up. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 